Yeah, I found all this really interesting. And another way I read it described, um, another way that I was reading, how do I say this? Um, <clears throat> another way I heard it, because <laughs> I didn't hear it, I read it. Hang on. Mm. Saw it. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 121. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about reframing. Greek Stoic philosopher Epictetus once said, quote, Men are disturbed not by things, but by the views which they take of things, end quote. How we see a certain situation can influence how we act. And so examining how we think is a natural first step. Learning the art of reframing is a long-tested tool of the trade, and definitely one you want in your back pocket. But first, the best way that you can support the Modern Lady Podcast is by giving us a rating and review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews, especially on iTunes, can really help others who might be interested to find our podcast too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to listener Eva Stenerson, who commented on our Instagram post from our wintering episode and said, quote, listened to your podcast today while sewing a summer dress. Perfect combination. But as a Norwegian, I should probably take our own advice, leave the sewing machine and go outside for some winter sunshine now. Free loot sleeve and all that. End quote. Well, thank you so much, Eva, for taking the time to listen to the episode and then coming onto our Instagram page to comment and connect with us. We love that you were legit sewing a summer dress in anticipation for warmer weather and that we could be chatting with you as you were doing it. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com. Or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. Let's take a little break from our current age, an age where it seems like everyone is saying everything and nothing at once, and it seems like no topic is off limit where everyone's private lives are splashed all over the internet and deference seems to be a thing of the past. Let us travel back to the Victorian era when every thought, action, and word seem to have reams of etiquette attached to it. I want us to look specifically at conversational etiquette and perhaps we could learn a thing or two from our great-great-grandparents. I think you should know right off the bat that it is not proper to speak about the opera around people who do not frequent the opera. <laughs> tone is very important. Avoid harsh, shrill, and nasally tones. Keep your voice low and subdued. Avoid making words shorter. Pantaloons must never become pants, and gentlemen should never be called gents. A lady is never asked questions. Parents must not drone on and on about their children. Do not always start a conversation by referring to the weather. Do not speak negatively about your own defects as someone near you might have the same defect. One site, a victorian.com, says that you must not find fault in others, although you can gently criticize. 
Multiple sites suggest that shy people continue to try to communicate with other people, reminding them not to, quote, yield to bashfulness and become isolated. And for us extroverts, avictorian.com reminds us to not aspire to be a great storyteller, that one or two short and witty stories are appropriate, but that's it. The website jerrywalton.com tells us that we can share a, quote, sparkling anecdote to provide zest to the conversation. And for us hilarious extroverts, avoid satire. There is no doubt that you are witty, but you must not allow it to shine through despite knowing that you could get a laugh. Avoid flattering people and exaggerated compliments. So basically speak when spoken to, keep your voice low and calm. Do not always open with the weather. Don't be funny. Don't show too much interest in someone and do not prattle on about little Johnny's potty mishaps. The one thing that did jump out at me was that if someone was being attacked for their religious beliefs, they were encouraged to stand up for themselves as long as they remained polite. People were encouraged to defend the people around them who might be offended by something someone was saying. It was also proper etiquette to always follow up a complaint made by someone else with something positive, which we will learn more about in today's episode. Hmm. It feels like modern society has taken those suggestions, Mm -hmm. those words of wisdom from the Victorian times, and just said, nah. Yeah. (laughs) We (laughs) know better. (laughs) No. (laughs) It's pants. It's pants. We can't go back. (laughs) The Jets wear pants. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. (laughs) A quote often attributed to Mahatma Gandhi says, quote, you must be the change you wish to see in the world, end quote. When it comes to our life and its happenings and circumstances, we may not be able to control much of what happens around us, but what we can change is how we view those things and what we think about them. Right, Lindsay? That's right, Michelle. I was listening to a podcast episode um, by the St. Jose Maria Institute on maintaining peace and joy in the family. And I sent it to you right away, right? I was like, mm-hmm. this podcast, mm-hmm. this this episode, this whole podcast is so incredible. Um, so good. <laughs> and on that one, the priest kept mentioning the word reframing. And it stuck in my head. Like he kept talking, but that word reframing stuck in my head so much that I stopped wiping down all the counters and I went back to my phone and I, you know, rewound it a little bit. Do you still say rewound? Well, there, I guess I do. Uh, anyways, I <laughs> skipped back <Yes>. and, <laughs> and I had to hear it again. I'm like reframing. It, it caught me off guard. I had to look into it more. And so mm. I guess when I think about reframing, um, I just assume that when people chose to put a positive spin on things, when they chose to look for a silver lining or when Mm. they like chose to look on the bright side, um, I always assumed, and this is just a massive character fault of my own, that they were burying their feelings and they were just sugarcoating things. And yeah, Mm. I can be pretty dense sometimes. (laughs) So (laughs) then I mentioned the word reframing to Jason, my husband, and he immediately Mm -hmm. knew what I was talking about. Um, he said he studied it in psychology classes when he was doing his minor in counseling during his undergrad and that he's actually used it often as a tool in his own life. And I'm like, what? We've been together mm. 22 years and I, I didn't know you reframe things. <sighs> um, yeah, it was a total shocker to me. So again, like, I guess I assume that people just would pack away memories like that. Maybe what they were doing was like compartmentalizing mm-hmm. things that they were packing away things that they didn't want to think about anymore into like little boxes in their heads. And they would push down their emotions and grin and bear it. Now, 
Michelle, you know this. I, mm-hmm. I'm not that person. I never have been. I, I feel all the things and I allow myself to feel all the things. And then I use my voice and I share how I'm feeling. And then I usually move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and while sometimes I've tried to focus on the positive, I really didn't see that as a strength, um, as a tool. But I, I did. I saw it as a weakness. But my goodness, was I ever wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what? Like you... I have never heard this term before, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) before you brought it up to me and Mm -hmm. told me to listen to that episode of the podcast. Uh, And it it is really, really good. I I really love that episode and now have an entire catalog to work through. (laughs) Um, But I, I also immediately saw then what you were saying and that it would be of benefit for us to look into this. And while I was listening, I had actually wondered if it was something that went beyond a theological or a faith context, because this podcast is um, done by priests, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if the concept had a following in the secular world, like yep. in psychology. And so when you mentioned Jason's training in it, uh, yeah. it made the concept clearer for me. Uh, and I just really like this. I love when these worlds overlap with each other because it makes a lot of sense. And I know that it's... Uh, it really provides a holistic mind frame, uh, this connection between mind, body, soul, and why it's so important for us to pay attention to those connections. When I was working as a youth minister, I remember the priest at the time, who's also my boss, <laughs> uh, was chatting with, with me about something and I brought up uh, something that was bothering me. And then I apologized because it wasn't necessarily religious in context. And he was just saying, no, 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 it's important because whatever affects the mind affects the soul and Mm. whatever affects the soul can affect the body. Whatever Mm. affects the body can affect your mind. So it's good to address the status and the health of all these things periodically. And so taking this concept and finding out even within the first like few hours of learning about the concept, period, reframing. Uh, finding out that it also has roots and merits in both theology and psychiatry and psychology, this is um, immediately something that flags in my mind as something to take note of. Okay, so if you're listening, you're like, what the heck is reframing? Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing I read was an article called Reframing is therapy's most effective tool. Here's why on the website, Mm. Talkspace.com. And right off the bat, the author, Jor L. Caraballo, makes it clear that reframing is a very common tool in therapy. He goes on to explain it's all about identifying what the actual problem is that the client is experiencing. Is it something external, something that happened to them or something internal, something that they're struggling with? He said, you can't fix a problem if you don't know what it is, right? Mm. Caraballo shares that one of the most valuable experiences in therapy is when a client experiences a shift in perspective, when they are able to see a situation in a new light from a different point of view and then uncover new ways to deal with the situation. So that is what reframing is. Um, A counselor will help guide along his or her client in this journey towards a new perspective. Now, what's really interesting, according to Caraballo, is that our perspectives are largely driven by emotion. And these emotions are rooted in old patterns, as he said. Mm. And these old patterns don't really serve the client well anymore. So by reframing things, you break those old patterns and exercise the part of the brain that is making new connections as it examines problems, even decades old problems in a new light. 
Another way I saw it described in an another article was that it's a way we can alter our perceptions of stressors mm. in our lives, mm. right? So I loved that that it's basically exactly what you're saying, a perspective shifting, right? So it doesn't necessarily change the situation, but it is seeking to help guide um, ourselves or another person in the case of therapy to see it from a different angle or many other different angles mm-hmm. so that you're kind of forced to consider where you go from here, essentially. And I also like that because of that, because it can change our perceptions of even stressors in our lives, that it can also, I was reading, change the physical response to stress mm. because our body's response to things often um, are triggered by perceived stress versus the actual events. Yes, yes. And that's exactly what reframing is, right? And I really liked that because it just kind of linked it up for me to that holistic connection we were talking about before that often things that happened in our minds manifest themselves physically in our bodies. Oh my goodness. Yes. And they provided on this website, Talkspace.com, a really good example of what we're talking about here. So in this example, uh, a young person has started a new job and the only feedback they've received so far from their boss is that they need to quote, manage their time better. Well, this sends the brand new employee into a tailspin. I think we can all understand this. Um, Mm -hmm. They're filled with anxiety. They feel like they're about to be fired. And this has then, of course, a very negative effect on their performance at work, right? Like, you just, they continue to then make errors and it all gets worse. Now, if one was to reframe that feedback from the boss, the new way of looking at it would be your boss is concerned that you're working too hard, staying too late after work or working on your days off. Your boss is concerned about your mental health. They don't want you to burn out and hate your job. And wow, Mm -hmm. it's totally reframing. It's totally different than what I thought it was. It wasn't just yeah, glossing over it or sugaring or trying to find the bright spot. It really is taking that message and going, what else could this mean? And mm. yeah, it might actually, the, the boss might have actually meant you need to actually manage your time better. You're not doing a good job managing your time. <laughs> but like you were saying, it would immediately reduce some of that like physiological response, that stress hormone. If you reframe it and you can step outside of yourself and your emotions and reframe it in those different ways. So I can see then if, if you do that, you would come into work the next day calm and you, um, it would have a radically different outcome. You actually then might start performing better at your job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I find this whole concept of like, where do we even get our thoughts? Mm. Like so interesting, like (laughs) a whole new episode. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, I I was stumbled across a YouTube channel when we were doing research for this, Mm. and the channel is called Therapy in a Nutshell, Mm. which is basically when I'm looking into like uh, therapy. That's what I need it to be in a nutshell. (laughs) Explain it to me in layman's terms. So this account is run by Emma McAdam. She's a marriage and family therapist, and in a larger as a part of a larger video on reframing she kind of leads up to it by explaining first where do those thoughts even come from in the first place Mm -hmm. like why when your boss to use your example says something like you need to manage your time better why is the thought in like immediately that yeah (laughs) that it's negative what happens there where do we get our thoughts and so if you will indulge me for a minute Lindsay (laughs) yes she runs through this exercise um on the video and I thought it was so interesting and I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to ask you (laughs) the question yes why 
is the desk the mother of the chair? Okay, right. Okay, it like the the chair um, nestles in under it in a physical sense. Okay. All right. So that's a really good answer. And McAdams says that as a therapist, she gets a lot of different answers. Mm. Um, Some of them are similar to yours, like the nurturing position Mm -hmm. of a desk and a chair. Some of them are like, well, maybe the the desk was created first and the chair Mm. was made to suit the desk. And she says they're all good answers, but they're all wrong. She's Mm. like, the desk isn't the chair, the mother of the chair. So (laughs) what happened here? Our minds... (laughs) Right? Right. It's not. I, I did a mind thing to you. Yeah. Okay. So our minds immediately started filling in the answer. Mm. Immediately started filling in the answer. We didn't even yes. stop to think about like, if it's logical. Is it true? Yeah, is it true? Right. And she was saying that our minds are story creators. They automatically make connections to explain how the world around us works. And that when our minds don't actually know how or why something works, it makes its best guess. Mm. But the thing is, is that this guess doesn't feel like a guess to us. It feels true. Right. right. And then our guesses form our perceptions of reality. And this is one of the ways our thoughts are formed in any given situation. So then according to McAdams, she says reframing then what it does is it opens up space and opportunity for us to create new stories. Mm, And she suggests that this is a key, uh, one of the keys to living a happier life. Okay. So I think we both understand a little bit better what reframing is, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I still wonder like, is it just the same as looking on the bright side? And then I started to wonder, can we, or should we always look on the bright side? I would argue that they aren't necessarily the same thing. Now, this is just my own personal thoughts. Um, But I think when you reframe something like a trauma from your past, you might not always be able to put like a positive spin on it, but you might be able to understand it better um, so that you can maybe start to heal some of the things you weren't able to heal before. I think Mm. there are many tragic and terrible things that have happened to people and you really will, no matter how much therapy you have, you can never look back on some things fondly. But I think we can get to a place where we can learn to be thankful for some aspects and then maybe move forward with our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came across another podcast also by priests. Mm. And this podcast is called In His Presence. Mm. Uh, so the priest in this podcast, Father Eric Nikolai, he was saying that reframing is a system to fight the masters in our lives, mm. the masters who are not God. So according to him, it's a liberating exercise to free our minds from the distractions and the temptations that will make us stuck, right? And I really liked that definition. And uh, to go along with what you were saying, like looking into this idea of reframing, I think I agree with you. I don't think that it's the same thing as um, just, you know, the power of positive thinking or um, being an idealist or anything like that. I think it's actually the complete opposite of dismissing Mm -hmm. feelings, uh, thinking about it now after what we've learned, because yeah, positive thinking and uh, like false optimism, especially maybe more like the sugar coating a situation or the burying of your emotions. But one instruction I came across a few times is the idea of linking your thoughts with an emotion because you want to reframe the situation in a way that's going to 
you know, elevate your mood or inspire you or buoy you up moving yeah. forward, moving on, as you said. Yeah. So, for example, to use a, an example, if you're frustrated that no one is helping you clean at home, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something that we have no, no. experience in whatsoever, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, the instruction suggests to think about how are the thoughts in your head affecting your emotions. So there are a few different ways to think about it. You could be thinking like, they're so selfish. They won't give their time to help me. Now I'm angry, right? right. Or you might be thinking, maybe you could think, oh, maybe they're overwhelmed. And all of a sudden, I feel maybe more compassion mm -hmm. is the dominant emotion. Or perhaps you could think something along the lines of, maybe they don't know or realize and it gives you like a glimmer of hope yeah. <laughs> that maybe if they are made aware of then the situation will change so even like your your thoughts are actually more tied to the emotions and recognizing your true feelings on a subject or a situation uh, than the positive thinking or simply just looking on the bright side right um, aspects of things it is way more intimately connected I love that you use the word liberating um mm -hmm. it, it, it's right that is a very different thing than just yeah looking on the bright side <laughs> to yeah. be liberated from those things that are controlling you the masters in your life um it doesn't necessarily make it better but there is a freedom in that and then like you're saying that freedom can help you understand your emotions more detach a little bit from them but like see them mm. differently and so we're reframing isn't having your feelings invalidated you might see them right. differently you might be able to wrap your head around it a bit, a bit more but like using that cleaning example you might might have every right to be a bit angry. You might truly be mm -hmm. the only one mm -hmm. who's been cleaning for months, right? And yes. so you, it's not about invalidating that feeling, but it is about, yeah, trying to see it from different ways. And you can still feel a bit of what you're, you're feeling, but it's not, again, being dominated or ruled by those emotions. It's being liberated from them. And I just mm -hmm. think that that is so fascinating. And this is where I'm like, I can't believe I thought it was so weak. And that's because I was only looking at sugarcoating things or yeah, trying to yeah. find the silver lining, which there is are times where you just do have to find the silver lining that, you know, mm -hmm. let's not pretend like that doesn't happen too. But this is a very different thing. This one is a mental exercise that, yes, right, that requires yeah, work. That's, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. that's exactly the term. It's a mental exercise, right? It's another one of those um, things, much like exercise or mm -hmm. trying to, you know, practice a, a skill to be better at sport or something it's that muscle that you have to work and uh, much like uh, Jocko Willink <laughs> uh, yes. our favorite <laughs> Navy SEAL uh, when he talks about uh, discipline equals freedom mm -hmm. right when we do work on building those good habits those good uh, mindsets those good traits of character in our lives that's ultimately going to lead to freedom to liberation now, one of the things that kept tripping me up while doing this research is the idea of like helping other people reframe things. So um, there, mm. there is this longstanding stereotype of men that they are fixers, right? When their wives just want to unload to them at the end of the day, the husband always, jump, always jumps in with, solutions. Well, why don't you try this, this, this. Now I am naturally a fixer too. And I was, so as I'm reading this, I'm like, I 
I want to do this for people. Like I want to help them reframe. <laughs> but mm-hmm. then I think after years of hearing that people, people don't want you to fix them. They just want to be able to talk to you. I actually then stopped trying to help people reframe things. I just started just listening because I thought that's mm-hmm. what I was supposed to do. But now I'm like, no, I think people do need help reframing. Just like I need help reframing. So then Michelle, I think I figured it out. I right. think it's okay. <laughs> helping people, like helping gently guide them, um, to see things from a new perspective that isn't necessarily my new perspective. Like I think when I was trying to Mm. fix things for people in the past, I would give them like a new perspective that mattered to me, but it is about, yeah, helping them see it themselves. And that's just this thing that kept popping in my head when I was reading this, because for years I thought, well, isn't this invalidating when somebody just wants to talk to you or even Mm. when you're just trying to process your your own things instead of trying to fix it all the time, can't we just feel it? Can't we just lean into it? But I think that's an interesting question, though, and I really can't remember where this thought came from, but I mm-hmm. do remember um, at some point coming across the point of asking the person yeah. oh, right. what they're looking for. <laughs> Did you say that? Am I, I quoting know, Lindsay Murray? <laughs> no, probably not, because that's not okay. my natural inclination. So okay. unless we've <laughs> reached that conclusion in another episode. But yeah, my natural inclination isn't to ask the person what they need. So that okay. is excellent advice. <laughs> Yeah, like the first step can totally be just listening, like completely giving someone the space and the time to get out what they need to get out. We have the whole episode on venting. Maybe Mm -hmm. it was in the venting episode. Mm, Yes. Um, But then, especially if you know the person very well, and I would kind of assume if they're bearing so much of their heart to you in any given situation, depending what the topic is, that you might be close with the person you could maybe even just ask them, are you looking for solutions? <laughs> right, right. Or do you just need to talk it out? Yeah, yeah. And, and then take that as a cue. And yeah, you're right. Sometimes it does help to have an outside person reframe things with you yeah, because yeah. they're not as emotionally involved in right, the situation. That right. can be valuable. Mm-hmm. Right. I did read about like with our teenagers on a website called verywellmind.com. Um, if they come to us with an issue and again, for me, like my tendency would be to jump in, fix it, give them the thoughts. And if, it, and obviously we don't want to do it all like that, but she said, this therapist said that we could ask our teens, well, what would you suggest to a friend who is dealing with this? And then that helps the teenager mm, step oh, outside of themselves and they, it helps guide them in reframing things themselves and coming up with possible solutions from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that suggestion. <laughs> saying that, like, what would you suggest to a friend? Mm-hmm. Even saying that to yourself, I'm right. thinking in my mind, like when I'm feeling overwhelmed by a situation, being like, how would I counsel someone else right. in this situation? That th- That's a great point. So we wanted to look into optimism a bit too. And I looked into an article by Dr. John Medina. He wrote a book called Brain Rules. And he Mm. said, quote, optimism can actually increase your lifespan by nearly eight years. And that's fantastic Mm. news because also according to Dr. Medina, we hit, Michelle, are you ready for this? We hit peak brain function at the uh-huh. age of 23.86 and that oh. after the age of 24 <laughs> it's all downhill for oh. cognitive function <laughs> we laugh all right huh? you can only laugh yeah that's it what uh, else we don't we, we're we can't understand here. it yeah okay. <laughs> I'm going to reframe this. Yes. So he explained that our brains were really only meant to get us to the age of 30 
Um, but obviously okay. we have extended our lifespans, mm-hmm. um, you know, by 45 plus years. So simply put, he says stress raises cortisol levels, which we know and we've talked about in our hormone episode. And this triggers a widespread biological response, which can increase cancer and cardiovascular issues. Um, mm. But optimism increases dopamine. And Dr. Medina says that dopamine packs a serious wallop. So there is a lot of scientific backing on this reframing on and truly learning to look at things in a different perspective. And if even better, if you can look at it in a positive light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the, the mind body connection again, right? Mm. It's, I love that it keeps coming back to that. And if we even want to add in the element of soul mm-hmm. <laughs> into our holistic mindset mm-hmm. here, um, if we take the spiritual aspect of reframing into account too, and we start to try to consider how God may be asking us to see something, mm-hmm. that as well, I feel like can really reduce stressors that would contribute to all those um, underlying functions that seem to become more prone in our later years as we get older. Um, because we're taking off some of the slack and the pressure on ourselves. Yeah. Right. So yeah. we are not the the gods of our own mind yeah. in that sense, too. Like how we see something isn't necessarily how it always is or how it's going to be. And so even that takes a huge stress load off of ourselves, too. And I absolutely I can see contributing to optimism and contributing to a more calming life moving forward. Yeah, I think that reframing is particularly powerful when we combine it um, with spiritual development. That's why I think Mm. it was so fascinating that every time we Googled it, we were getting things from the church or things from psychologists. Like, And then so if you, boom, put them together, uh, it's an amazing tool. (laughs) But you're right, because I think that we're kind of limited when you only can get so far as using human perspectives, right? Whether you're looking at it from different perspectives of your own uh, intellect or looking at how other people might be, you know, thinking about it and trying to put yourself in their shoes. But yeah, when we can look at situations from God's perspective, when we can try that exercise, I mean, it's totally, it takes it to a whole other level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we understand now what reframing is. We understand the power, the psycho, um, psychological and scientific power of optimism. Um, but what does this look like for us busy moms, right? Our day-to-day life, we're tired wives, we're stressed out employees. What does it really look like to reframe things for us? Mm -hmm. And I know um, that it can all sound a bit banal. Okay, like we get it. We should be thankful we have children's clothes to fold because it means we've been blessed with a family. We hear that all the time, but it isn't just banal. It really does work. So I think learning how to do this, working out this muscle, as we pointed out that it is, is more important now than ever because of the massive influx of information we receive Mm. every day now, which is more and more every day, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of reaching a fevered pitch if you think Mm -hmm. about it, right? Like you wake up in the morning and it's right in your face. Um, for as long as you let it until maybe even you go to sleep at night. And I don't know if there's any other time in history where that would have been true. So it is, it is true. The information we take in every single day is unprecedented. And so how we deal with it is also now unprecedented. (laughs) We're kind of pioneers. (laughs) Now, some scientists have measured the information we take in in a day and they've 
um, gauged it to be around 74 gigabytes per day, which is, Michelle, the same as watching 16 movies and taking in all of those storylines, all of those plots, all of that dialogue and trying to keep it all straight, right? It's Mm. really, really hard to reframe all of that information that we're taking in plus what's happening in real time to us in our real days, right? With children all around us. Plus, many of us struggle with past traumas or memories that pop up throughout our days that we have to like deal with. And then you add in feedback from your bosses and comments you receive online and feedback about our children from their doctors or teachers or support staff. And this idea of reframing our daily tasks can seem overwhelming and just like another thing on our to-do list. Like, oh, great. Now I have to reframe everything too. (laughs) Is everybody feeling super anxious now? I know. I was just going to say, I think my cortisol is rising just (laughs) listening to you. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, speaking of anxiety, um, I read on the website, the Family Foundations Institute website, which is FAMFI, F-A-M-F-I dot C-A, from Mm -hmm. Catholic psychiatrist, Dr. Kevin Majerez. He tells us um, that we can, if we can learn to see our anxiety, not as an enemy, but rather as an opportunity to grow and learn, we can even Mm. reframe that adrenaline rush um, to become a performance enhancer to optimize our daily game. Ooh, now that is an interesting reframe. (laughs) That's an interesting gear to switch. I I like that actually, because you're right. We've been talking up to this point about reframing situations. Yeah. But I find it interesting that you could even reframe emotion, um, reframe physical response to things and redirect it into something that could be fruitful because that might be the, that might be one of the holdups that keeps us stuck, right? It's just like we could want to think about a situation or a person or a thing differently, but we're kind of paralyzed by um, overwhelm or fear or um, anxiety, like what you were saying. You're so right. Uh, they go on to actually talk about that a bit more on the same website. Um, mm. The doctor's quoted as saying, reframing is also a great tool for redirecting our thoughts and lifting oh. us out of a temporary funk. As mm. the saying goes, it's not life's events that cause problems. It's what we believe about them. Mm. Um So it really is an effective tool, like you're saying, like not just for memories, not just for something somebody says to you, but yeah, about our thoughts, about our emotions, like just that practice, that getting into that daily habit of not being so reactionary (laughs) about Mm. intentionally stepping outside of the situation and yeah, teaching yourself how to look at it from all these different perspectives. Yeah. And I wonder if one of the ways to do that then is to examine what the root of those feelings are Mm, yeah like would that be one way to do it then because if you're feeling anxious or worried about something to stop and say like okay what exactly am I anxious about it might be something different than what you um, on the surface thought it was yes and then even there that that's another step in reframing the situation and reframing things so using it as a catalyst for introspection is what I think I was gonna say to to yeah you can't reframe what you don't know you need to be reframing so (laughs) that can help narrow down the focus a little bit 
And we're really good at lying to ourselves and not yeah. always intentionally. Sometimes we've created this, you know, lie, these narratives, again, to deal with past hurts and wounds and traumas. And so it manifests in a way that we think that something is bothering us on the surface. But you're right. There is a root there about why we're triggered always in that way. That's really important to, to try to look at. And this is why I think it's also important to be really compassionate with yourself as you learn mm. to reframe things. This might be brand new knowledge for you. It is was for me as it of two days ago, us. right? <laughs> I was just going to be like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's something I've never practiced before. So mm-hmm. I think it's, I know this sounds so easy to say, but like, don't feel bad when you re-examine the old thought patterns that you've created in the past. You created them for a reason, um, whether intentionally or as a self-defense response. Um, but you don't have to beat yourself up about that. It, it's a wonderful thing that you're open to making some changes now. Hmm. I love that because when you're starting new skills or trying to build new habits, um, it's always going to be uh, tough at the beginning, right? Yeah, and there's always yeah. going to be obstacles and challenges to that. This would be just one other thing to expect for the learning process to have a bit of a curve to it. And I'm just realizing now too, I think that as busy and exhausted moms and wives, um, one of the things that we should do is pay attention to what some of our triggers are that make it harder for us to reframe things. What I'm speaking Mm. about specifically, like for me is when I have my PMDD, my serious PMS, that's Mm. a time every month where I have a really hard time remembering what the truth is. Like, it's almost like there's lies being whispered to me that whole time. No one's helping you. You're never going to lose weight. Uh, Like all these, like this whole litany of lies. Mm. And it's only a very short period of my month. Well, for me, it's actually two weeks, but it's not forever. And so if I know that that's going to come and it's really, really hard for me to reframe things during that period, um, Mm. I've started to write down just in my phone, in my notes, the things that are true. Your family does help you. (laughs) Um, You know, God loves your family and you've done a good job with your kids. They're going to be okay. Like these things that are the things that I think creep up, whether it's when you're tired, if you are postpartum and hormonal, Mm. um, if you have had a really, really bad week or you're not connecting with your spouse, there are different points that, you know, ebb and flow in our lives where it is a lot harder to reframe things. And so if these things keep Mm. popping up, pay attention to that and maybe jot down the things that are true, that you recognize to be true when you're in a period of your life where you can reframe things properly so that you can go back to that uh, when you're maybe not feeling as as optimistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's like what you were saying um, in our winter episode. In our wintering episode, right? Remember Catherine May, the author of the book Wintering, talks about taking stock of what you're going to need in the winter when things are not so wintry. Yes. (laughs) Don't forget that aspect of preparation. That's the same thing just mentally now, like in our own thoughts. And I love that idea. It goes with a suggestion from verywellmind.com and they were listing out how reframing works. Mm -hmm. And one of their steps is to challenge your thoughts. Um, and to challenge your motivations, to examine the truth, like what you were saying, and the accuracy of these thoughts. Oh, yes. That the are... accuracy. That's a great word. Right. Yes. Yes. And so then you can, um, another thing they suggest is replacing then your thoughts with more positive thoughts. Yeah. And even, even to the extent of changing wording a little bit, how you're speaking to yourself, the yes. words your thoughts are using. Um, there was an article that said nurses often do this 
with their patients. They mm. ask about the patient's discomfort versus pain. Ooh, that's a wow. Okay. Yeah. And huh. they're reframing because if the if the pain is mild for a patient, then describing it as uh, discomfort can actually help minimize the experience of pain for the patients. So yeah, all these different things, like it is a really interesting skill that yeah. we can teach ourselves and try to uh, replace as a good habit in our lives. So we already know this and we've done an episode on this, but gratitude is a pretty big deal. Like science is pretty clear that people who are intentional about focusing on being grateful and expressing gratitude, not only are happier, but they're healthier. They're physically healthier. So write someone a love letter, preferably your husband. (laughs) Um, You could write a letter to someone else telling them how Mm. much of an uh, an impact they've had on your life. And one of the things you and I were told to do in spiritual direction and that we try to practice is when we crawl into bed at night, focusing on um, things that we're thankful for. Right. Mm -hmm. So I know, I know you probably heard this advice 10,000 times, but there's a reason why everyone suggests that like it actually works. Um, So that's just another thing as you're trying to learn how to grow in this is that just, yeah, before you crawl into bed at night, think two or three things that you are really grateful uh, for that happened that day. Mm -hmm. And to go along with that, um, from this initial podcast where we got the idea of reframing from the Mm -hmm. um, St. Jose Maria Institute podcast, Mm -hmm. they also mentioned, the priest also mentions at the end, uh, no complaining. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like to not complain, to make your house um, at least a place where there is no complaining. Easier yeah. said than done, I, I acknowledge. Yeah. Um, so I was intrigued by this and I looked it up and uh, Psychology Today actually uh, goes along with this. Uh, and they said in an article that when we play complaining thoughts over and over again in our minds, they become more and more believable. Right. So that's like reframing going the other way. We can yeah. probably reframe going in the wrong direction oh, as well. right, right. Yes. Right? And yes. like, why not? And so complaining would be the antithesis to these um, positive thoughts that we're talking about, um, practicing gratitude, um, reframing, trying to see things from different perspectives. So I thought that was a great tip too, as something if, you know, reframing still seems a bit abstract, uh, you can even start with things like, minimize complaining and Mm -hmm. pick two or three things a day to uh, practice gratitude about. So one of the things I've read about time and time again, when I study the lives of the saints is the way they handled the little setbacks in their day-to-day lives. Sure. We can read about all their big moments, right? There's a lot of big acts Mm. of bravery in the face of great fear or persecution that the saints have lived through or were murdered because of, but it was their daily acts of virtue that really stand out to me. I recall watching the documentary on the life, um, the young life cut short of Sister Claire Crockett. I forget, Michelle, have you watched that one yet? The All or Nothing uh, documentary on YouTube? No, I have not. Okay. I haven't. Well, that one followed me around for about, I'm not kidding, five years. Like that documentary Mm. has shown up in my suggested videos (laughs) weekly. And I'm like, fine. Well, and I really, really recommend it. So again, it's called All or Nothing and it's on YouTube. It's the story of Sister Claire Crockett. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that the nuns, her fellow nuns talked about after she died is that um, she, they never really figured out like what tasks she liked that she enjoyed Mm -hmm. doing and which ones she didn't like. It was never clear from her body language, her facial expressions or her words. She was just always ready and willing to help out 
and work and she was always cheerful and mm. saint jose maria was the same those around him said that you couldn't tell how things affected him whether it was machines breaking down personal medical problems um Sure, he admits he had a great temperament. It was partially that, but it was also mm. an outward sign of his detachment from things that contributed to his personal convenience. Mm. It isn't so much just detaching, though, right? We've talked before about detaching from our emotional response. Detachment mm -hmm. is the first step. But in order for there to be great growth, one then must reframe these daily irritations mm practicing on the small things so that the muscles will be strong when and if something more significant happens. Oh my goodness. The detachment thing. Mm -hmm. I, I did forget about detachment. So I'm glad you brought it up. Mm -hmm. And the saints are, are really good examples of that because yeah. if you are holding on to an outcome in your mind, I guess that is an attachment to what you think is going to happen. Yes. Um, so yeah, you have to let that go first before you can consider what else might be at play before yes. you can reframe the situation. You have to detach from what you already think or perceive or anticipate yeah. is going to happen as well. And yeah, the saints stories are full of examples of them living that out in yes. person. So I think that's great to mention that here, that if there is, a, if you need more of an example of what that looks like in real life yes. for all aspects and walks of life, <laughs> yeah. there are thousands of saints who uh, have accomplished this in a heroic way yes. through their lives that we can really draw on and learn from. Yes, I love that so much. The heroic virtue of this seemingly simple act, right? It mm -hmm. is heroic. I, I mean, I don't know how anybody can listen to this whole episode and not think, okay, this is a pretty big thing. This thing that seems so simple. And it is heroic to choose to do that day in and day out, even on our just daily tasks. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it, They are an incredible inspiration. And if you've never looked into the lives of the saints, like Michelle was saying, there is a saint for everything. Like there really is yeah. a saint who's lived your life pretty much. And you can look to their life as an example. Now, going back to St. Jose Maria, who really was the inspiration for so much of this episode. There was an article from Sacred Heart Church and School in Conroe, Texas, and it talks about St. Jose Maria Escriba and his emphasis on reframing. And it says, quote, to reframe a situation, one could ponder, how can I do this better with love? How would God want me to behave or handle in this particular situation? The goal would be to recognize the proper mindset and ultimately give our best to help serve others, end quote. Now, here's the part that really jumped out at us. Uh, quote again, this would be to take ordinary daily tasks and reframe them according to our godly principles and virtues, end quote. Here's why St. Jose Maria talks so much about this. Because he talks so often about the ordinary becomes extraordinary with love. My goodness, isn't that the most amazing outcome of this technique of reframing? Mm. That the ordinary has the potential to become extraordinary with love. So if we take what we learned last week about our mission, our mission to love one another, and we use that love as the basis for our reframing of things, we have the power to transform so many things daily tasks right on up to past traumas and deep wounds. Now it isn't a cure-all, but we learned in the beginning of today's episode, it's one of psychology's most effective tools and it's worth our effort, isn't it? We'll end with this quote by Robert Diltz. He is a pioneer in the field of neuro-linguistic programming and he said, 
Flexibility comes from having multiple choices. Wisdom comes from having multiple perspectives. Well, growing in wisdom sounds pretty good these days. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So this week, we're going to switch things up a little bit, and I think I'm going to go first this week, if that's all the same to you, Lindsay. (laughs) It is. So, Michelle, what have you been loving this week? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, (laughs) So we just finished watching a series um, called Dickensian. And yes. this is produced by the BBC. I told you that we were watching it because mm-hmm. um, I thought it was right up your alley and you <laughs> weren't sure. You had started it and you weren't sure. Yes. So I'll elaborate a little bit more now. So this is a series where characters from Charles Dickens' novels are reworked into another storyline where they all cross over with one another. And I love crossovers <laughs> so much. Uh, and they're all in one main plot now, namely, who killed Jacob Marley? Ooh. So it's a murder mystery. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. So Jacob Marley, uh, quick refresher, he's the late partner of Ebenezer Scrooge in Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and he's the one who visits Scrooge as a ghost to warn him of the error of his ways and where it leads. So in this series, we have characters from um, his novels like Great Expectations, the Havisham family is in this uh, series, uh, from Bleak House uh, with the Barbary family. Um, and then we have like Fagin and some of the other characters from Oliver Twist uh, and others. And they all live in the same area of London and interact with one another as a crossover from their storylines and their books. And one of the things I liked about this series is that it, it actually really takes place before many of the novels themselves begin. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a prequel of many of these classic Dickens stories. And because of that, it's inspired me to look further into some of them. I mentioned last week, right, that I'm watching the adaptation of Bleak House Mm -hmm. that stars Gillian Anderson. That's because of Dickensian. And I guess I just have one word of caution. There's no language or indecent behavior that I can um, think of per se, but I will say that it can be a little bit cringy with some of their puns or their (laughs) suggestive lines. Okay. Okay? So that's what, so if you're okay with some cringe, then you will most likely enjoy the rest of the series. I'm okay with cringe. I'm fine with corny, but um, (laughs) you'll have to use your own judgment. Okay, you sold me. I will try it again. Okay. I, I don't remember how far I got in the first episode or two. And I might have liked it. I just, it was probably one of those things that didn't grab me enough that I was like, okay, I've got to get the next episode. But mm-hmm. that premise of it, like there being, of Marley having been murdered and who could have done it from the world of Dickens. Okay, that's that's a neat idea. I yes. will watch it. An interesting concept for sure. And so now, Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Well, I gave you the heads up about this, Michelle, um, but it's not a very lighthearted one. And I really did agonize over sharing this, but Mm -hmm. I've decided that the importance of it outweighs my concerns. So I'll give a trigger warning here um, and a warning that if your little kids are around, they probably shouldn't hear this one. So yeah, Mm -hmm. put your earbuds Mm -hmm. in. 
Okay, so Jason and I finished watching the new four-part documentary called We Need to Talk About Cosby, which was written and directed by comic W. Camo Bell. Let me just say, first of all, that I, like everyone else in our generation, was a huge fan of Bill Cosby. Um, we watched Fat Albert on Sunday mornings. I can remember how delicious pudding pops were. And I watched the Cosby show nearly every week with my family. I'm basically the same age as Rudy. So I grew up with that family. Jason and I loved him so much that we even went to see him live in 2008 when I was pregnant with our second child. So I turned a blind eye to the early reports of his past history of sexual assaults, but I did pay enough attention to know that we couldn't really show our kids the Cosby show anymore. And I deeply mourned that. Um, we just, we would try to put it on and then we couldn't pretend like there wasn't something that was happening behind the scenes that we didn't fully know about. Okay. So anyways, we decided to watch this documentary uh, on Crave TV. It's Crave TV here in Canada. I think it's the same one that provides HBO Max. Um, mm. And it's an, a four hour emotional roller coaster. It was so expertly crafted. It, it, this It was one of the most well produced documentaries I've ever seen. Each episode starts out making you fall in love with Bill Cosby all over again. So each of the four episodes, it takes like, it just shows you every groundbreaking thing he did, his philanthropy, his talents, his genius. It just, you, you watch it and you're like, oh, what a man. And you mm. idolize him again. And then halfway through every episode, they introduce the victims and one after another, they're brought on and they share story after story. And their stories are so similar about this man. And then gone is Dr. Cliff Huxtable and in his place stands a monster, an absolute mm. monster. And yet it was shocking to me every single time we heard another story, the stories were detailed, but they're not salacious. Um, mm. They shared what needed to be said. And it is extremely hard to watch, but we watched it because we have children, because in Jason's job, he listens to the stories of assault and rape victims. We watched it because we have created a celebrity culture that turns humans into gods and we're blinded by fame. I want to warn you as well, that there's a lot of bad language, um, some and other aspects that made us cringe. Um, and I'm not talking about the stories told by the victims. There is some slants on some things that uh, that's all I'll say about that. So mm -hmm. just keep that in mm -hmm. mind as well. But overall, we're so glad we watched it. And I'm sharing this today because I think it's an important thing to watch and even more important to talk openly about. And you and I, Michelle, have talked about this before, especially on the Friday Finishing School, this question of can you separate the artist from their art? Can a really mm -hmm. bad person do really great things. Mm -hmm. I still don't know the answer to that. Right. I know that we won't ever watch his show again, but yeah, it, it really sparks really, really important conversations and discussions. So we need to talk about Cosby. That title couldn't have been more perfect. Mm -hmm. And you know what? You're right when you say that it raises a really good point because I think the conversation uh, and commentary is finally now just catching up with the situation. Yes. Like media, um, Hollywood culture. I mean, it's been around for a while, but this, what you were saying, this like deification yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of making these celebrities untouchable. Yeah. Um, 
this has had consequences, but we, I don't even know if the culture really recognized it until it was too late. And now we're starting to realize it. And so we, as humanity has, have a choice. Do we just keep on with ignoring things or do do we talk about it? Raising people up when you actually, when we really don't know everything about them, right? You only see what they're presenting to you. Is it, is it, fair that we raise these people up to such heights and the thing with Cosby is that he was America's dad like hands down mm-hmm. 100% of people would have agreed with that there was a trust there and everybody that watched him and all of these victims like everyone trusted him mm-hmm. and that is I think what the most crushing thing is is that very few people ever ever in our you know memory have created such an aura of trust around them. Um, that is just, the fall is so much more painful. Michelle, I don't know when <laughs> you and Phil should watch it. Like you need, you know, mm. it's not movie night <laughs> kind of show, but right. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very interested to know when you do watch it, we'll talk about it more. And, and if anybody listening has watched it, feel free to reach out to me and, and we can talk about it more. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time.